because we, we got to do something this morning, and I, and I do need your help with it. We need, to, we need to try to get low this morning. We need to try to go a little bit lower. We won't stay there, but we have to go there. That's where they're at. When we read this verse, look in verse 4. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and they wept until there was no more power to weep. And we have to go there to try to understand what the Lord's trying to do in David's life. But we also need to draw out what grief can do in our own lives. In in 1 through 4 that we just read, we see, and I need you to try to see, the best that we can. See how these men, they're traveling. I told Patrick that I was going to walk all the way over here just so I'm out of camera because I've been back there and I know, and so you have to hop up. But we see these men, and they're traveling back. They're traveling back. They were going to go to war. They're being sent back from war. So they're traveling back to Ziklag, and they come to that last hill, that last horizon. When you Have you ever been on a trip that, that men's retreat that we went on where it was 24 hours or 26 hours one way and then 26 hours back the other way and we stopped at every, what, flying J that there ever was. <laughs> but you see, when you pull in, especially when you pass Mountain Home and it's nighttime and you get past Mountain Home and you know you're getting close to home and then you start to see the lights just a little bit and you're like, okay, we're home. And that feeling, it's a great feeling. It's a good feeling. So these men, that's what they're looking for. They come across that hill, and they see where their homes are supposed to be. But before they can even get there, before they can see anything, they see smoke. And they see a lot of it. And then that feeling hits right here. Have you felt it? Parents, you you know. When your kid cries, and I'm not talking about that cry where Ellie hits Quinn and then Quinn cries just to try to get Ellie in trouble. Not that cry, but that cry, that cry. You know the cry. Something's wrong. That's not normal. Something's wrong. And you feel it way down here. You get a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's never a good phone call. That's never a good phone call. You get that phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning... And you feel it. Even before you answer the phone, you know something's, something's wrong. Something's not right. But these men, when they see that smoke, what do you think they do? They're not lollygagging around. They see that smoke. They see that fire. They know something's wrong. They're moving. And they pull up to, to Ziklag and they see everything that's burnt with fire and everything is gone. All of their possessions are gone. And that doesn't even matter because everyone's gone. And you've got to understand where these men, they get there, their families, their kids, their children, they're gone. Everything's gone. And you've got to put yourself in their shoes. These men, they don't know what's happened. The Bible tells us what's happened, that they've been taken, but they're all still alive, but they don't know that yet. You've got to imagine that these men are sifting through ashes, looking for any, any sign that someone was in there, looking for any sign that someone is in trouble or hurt. And that everything is gone. And when they get to that point, when they get to that point of realizing there's nothing here, 
They're all gone. That's, that's when the hopelessness sets in. That's when the hopelessness sets in. In verse 4, they wept until they had no more power to weep. That's when it, the hopelessness sets in and the realization comes in that there is nothing that they can do. They're gone. Men, have you ever imagined, I, I, I imagine every man does, we go through scenarios just laying there in bed at night. If someone breaks in the house, I know exactly what I think I'm going to do. Probably won't go down that way. Or even sitting here in church, men, you, we, we, it's something that we do. We think about if someone comes into church and tries to hurt somebody, we, we have a, a course of action that we think we would take. If some, you know, it's just built into us. But these men, they come home and they're gone. And they have nothing. And then they realize in their own power that they can do nothing about it. They can't do anything. And when you face the problems in your own power and realize, I can't do anything about it, it's crushing. It's crushing. These men wept until they had no more power to weep. There was nothing left. I've been there one time. And I I don't ever want to face that again, Lord willing. But when Quinn was born, Quinn was born, he was, Becca woke me up. I told you, we got to go low. So we're going low. Becca woke me up and she was bleeding. And new parents, no idea what's going on. You got to, you got to understand it looked like Becca just ate too much at Cracker Barrel. Like, she was not showing at all, just barely at all. We have a picture of the day before this all happened, of my family touching Becca's belly and feeling the kicks for the first time. So we rush to the hospital, and we get there, and it's an empty ER in Meridian there, and there is nobody there. The hallways are empty. We get into the room. And there is just nobody. So we sit down, and the nurse comes in, and she's real nice. Oh, hey, okay, we'll go get the doctor. We'll check you out. No, no big deal. The doctor comes in, checks her out for just a couple minutes, said, okay, let me go look at something. I'll be right back. And so I calms me down a little bit, but then I step back out into the hallway. And when I step out into the hallway, that hallway that was empty, that there was nobody there, it's booming, and people are running. And phones are ringing and all that stuff. And that's when I realized something's, something's not right. Something's wrong. So long story short, we take a, a trip. Well, she takes a trip in the ambulance down to downtown Boise. And I'm following the ambulance to downtown Boise. And not knowing what's going to happen and just, just kind of numb to it. But we get down there and it's happening. The baby's coming. And coming at three months early. And like I said, she's little. And we get to that point where I'm, I'm sitting there getting dressed in scrubs to go in for an emergency C-section to be in the room when the baby's born. And they hand the, 
the shoe covers and the pants and the scrubs and, and a hair cover, which why? I don't, it makes <laughs> no sense at all. I remember literally thinking that, why? This doesn't make any sense. But sitting there after they left, and it felt like forever. I have no idea how long it actually was. But I remember pleading with God. I remember praying so hard, God, please, please don't take my boy. Don't take my wife. Don't, don't, please. And I remember with everything that I possibly had, praying to God in a way that I've never prayed to him since. In, in a fervor that, that I can only imagine how these men felt when they were running to that village. And I remember going into that room and the baby being born and Becca naming him, naming him Quinn. We thought we had a little bit more time to think about names and that was one of the, on the list, but we named him Quinn because Becca didn't want the baby to die without a name. And that's, that's where we were at. And that's the kind of low that these men were at where I thought at certain times, I'm going to lose everything. I'll, I'll lose them both. It's crushing. It's crushing when you don't have the power to fix the problem. When you face your problems on your own and you don't have that power, it's crushing. That's where these men were. They were on their knees no tears left to cry. There's nothing left. And they're broken. They're broken men. And it's a hard place to be, but that's not even the right words to use. They're broken. And you've got to understand when you're in this broken space that there's danger in that brokenness. Look at verse 5. We see David and his two wives were taken captives. Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And in verse 6, and David was greatly distressed. Of course he was. Right? Of course he was. For the people, these other men spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. First off, there's danger in brokenness. And this is something I have written in my Bible. This is the wrong time to be making decisions. It's the wrong time to be making life-altering decisions when you're broken. But in brokenness and staying in that state of no hope when you're when you're down there and you think about where these men were and they're on their knees and they have nothing left there are no more tears left to cry there is nothing left but hopelessness and they're broken and all they can think about is that anger that starts to build within you when you stay in that state and they look up from their sorrow and they look and they see David it's David's fault This is David's fault. 
If he wouldn't have gone to war against his own people, against God people, we would have been here. We would have been here when they came. There could be misguided anger, can't there? And when we sit in that state of brokenness, when there's no hope, now David, yeah, that's probably partly true. But it was the Amalekites that came, right? It was the Amalekites that came and took their their wives and their children and burnt their village to the ground. But when we stay in that state of brokenness, we can sure misguide our anger towards a lot of different places. There's danger in brokenness. It's pastor's fault. We went to him. We got counseling. Didn't work. It's pastor's fault. Is it? My kid's not going the right way. My kid's not doing right. It's, it's the Fiavi's fault. It's the Wicklin's fault. Is it? It's other Christians' fault. You'd be surprised when you're in this broken state how many things that you can start to blame and where that misguided anger can take you. Because the fact is, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. It really doesn't. It matters how you handle it. And if you face the problems in your life alone and on your own power, it's crushing. You have no power. We just got through singing the third verse in that song. And it's the same thing. There's no power that we have, no wisdom. We don't have those things. It's him. When you have no power... You have to go to the powerful. That's the truth. When you have no power, you have to go to the powerful. David was running from Saul. He was running from the Lord. He was running from his own grief. But you've got to see what, what the Lord is trying to do in David's life. We don't see David search out God in any of these last three chapters since he started running from Saul. But God was to cure his servant by a bitter dose of distress. He was to get the man of God to look to God alone. He was to raise David to his full height while his fortunes fall. Now David knew in that moment of powerlessness, when he's looking around and there's no more tears to weep, everything he has is gone. And then the men around him turn and speak of stoning him. That there was nowhere else to go. He had nothing else. In verse uh, 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. If you need power, you go to the powerful. Help, you go to the help of the helpless. Sick, you go to the great physician. If you're in pain and sorrow, you go to the comforter. If you need victory in your life, you go to the victorious. He is faithful. He is true. 
The Bible says he's the father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. But it says David encouraged himself in the Lord. We went low. We've got to come back. So I need you to come back with me. David encouraged himself in the Lord. How do you encourage yourself in the Lord when you've gone through some things? And church, we got some folks that are going through some things. And it doesn't have to be big things. There can be some big things in your life that other people would look at and say, maybe it's not that big. But it's big to you, isn't it? Something you're facing. How do you encourage yourself in the Lord? Especially when it seems like all hope is lost. You can almost hear David say, as he said in the Psalms, said in Psalms 42.5 and 43.5, David's talking to himself and he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Why, why, why are you being quiet now? Why, O soul, are you being quiet? Especially now. When all hope is lost and I have nothing. Why are you cast down? Why are you in this broken state? Why, when you look around, all you see is hopelessness. All you see is your failures. Why are you being quiet now? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. David's talking to himself and he says, why are you being quiet in my hour of need? Don't you remember? Don't you remember who God is? Don't you remember what he's done? David, especially David, has seen giants fall. David has seen victory in his life. David has seen the Lord's blessing in his life. David could write a book about how good God is to him. Why are you being quiet now? Don't you remember who God is? And why would he turn on you now? Why would God turn on you in your hour of need? Why would he turn on you when you needed hope? And we can play games with ourselves, can't we? Because I'm guilty. Of course you are. Of course you're guilty. Because I've sinned, of course you have. Did that not make him good in the past? Why does that change him now? Has he not promised to forgive you? Has he not been merciful? And why would he change now? Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, this is a verse that that I I just recently ran across again, and, and it's just been a blessing. But the Bible says, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever. He doesn't retain his anger forever because he delighteth. He delighteth in mercy. Our God delights in mercy. Of course you're guilty. Of course you've failed. Of course you're hurting, but he hasn't changed. He still delights in mercy. When we're going through this season of hopelessness and we're going through these problems that we see in our lives that come up, he hasn't changed. 
Some of us can remember a time in our Christian life where God felt close, where it felt like we had victory. But it all kind of seems in the past. And it seems like we just can't get back to where we once were. Can I tell you this morning, that, that's not God trying to keep you at arm's length. That's not God. He delights in mercy. He's not the one not letting you get close. He doesn't retain his anger. The problem has never been with him in our relationships with him. It's us. It's us. But I've failed. I've sinned. I've made mistakes. There's divorce. There's heartache. There's problems. He's not keeping himself from you. He delights in mercy. I feel like I'm not as close to God as I used to be when I was younger, when I first got saved. That's not him. Any barriers between God and us have been placed there by us. He is there. And David knew exactly where to go when all hope was lost. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And the Lord used this to bring David back to himself. I'm going to turn over Psalms. This is a verse that came to me last night because I was preaching to myself in my sleep, which did not go so well. But this is a verse that the Lord brought to my mind, Psalms chapter 37 and verse 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, Though he fall, you will. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. You can fall, but you don't have to stay there. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Here's the the first point, and the second one will be briefer. When you don't know what to do, When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. That doesn't make any sense. It makes sense. When you don't know what to do, when all hope is lost and there is nowhere else to turn, you know where to turn. You know exactly where to go. David went to the Lord. We're going to look at uh, the second point here. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. But David goes to the Lord. He knew what to do. And the Lord tells him to pursue. They're alive. Go get them and bring them back. So David and his 600 men, they take off. And let's look in verse 9. So David, he and his 600 men that were with him, they came to the brook Besor, where, they, where those that were left stayed behind. Behind stayed. But David pursued, he and his 400 men, 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. 200 men stayed behind. They couldn't go any further. And we'll come back to that. But look in verse 16. So they run across an Egyptian, which was one of the slaves of the Amalekites, which they left for dead because the Egyptian was sick, so they just left him. 
But they run across him, the David, and the Egyptian tells David and his men where these Amalekites are, and they catch up to him in verse 16. The Bible says, And he brought them down, and behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because all of the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And in verse 17, And David smote them from twilight, even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had, taken, had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking them, neither, great, or ne- neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that, th- that they had taken to them. David recovered all. And then in verse 21, And David came to the 200 men that were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had also made to abide at the brook. So David told them to stay there. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men, the men of Belial, of those that went with David, those 400 men that went and fought, we will not give them aught of the spoil which we have recovered to save every man his wife and his children that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, Ye shall not do so, my brethren. With that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered us, delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down into battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike." So these 600 men, David prays, the Lord tells them, go. You're going to go and you're going to get them back. They're alive. Your families are alive, your wives are alive, your kids are alive, go get them. And once again, these men have traveled three days to go to war. They've traveled three days to get back to Ziklag. They see that fire, they run to Ziklag, they run to where that fire is, and then they find that everything's gone. They emotionally cry till there's nothing left to cry, till there's nothing left to give, emotionally drained. David goes to the Lord, finds finds out that they should go. God tells him to go. So these 600 men, they pursue. And I can only imagine that they pursued with some vigor. But 200 of those men, when they get to that brook, 200 men couldn't go any further. They were emotionally, physically exhausted. And they had to have been really exhausted to not go further to get their families back. But at this point, they're slowing everybody else up. So David tells them to stay. And David would have lightened his load and given everything that they didn't need right then. And he said, stay here. Stick by the stuff. And we'll go. So when they go, and the Bible says they slay them from twilight until evening the next day. And they get all of that stuff, and they recover everything. And when they come back, they come back, and David salutes those 200 men. But the 400 men say, well, we'll give them their wives and children back, but they're not getting any of the stuff. That's ours. They're not getting any of that. And so David says, no. 
That's not how we're doing things. And he puts into place something that was actually put into place by Moses. But he makes it into law here. That those that go off to war, there's people at home. There's people at home that are preparing. There's people home that are, that are helping and, and getting everything ready. But not only that, but when the men go to war, there needs to be someone at home sticking with the stuff so the men of war have something to come home to. And that's where we see, in all honesty, a great picture of what missions is today. We got our missions conference coming up next week. And in, in missions, God calls some to go. And they go and they leave home. And they go out and they pursue after a work for the Lord. But they need someone supporting and helping and sending and giving and praying. And they need someone at home sticking by the stuff. And the, the principle that David put forward here is those men that go off to war, the spoils of war are going to be divided among those that sent as well, among those back home. So that's why it's so important as a church that we support our missionaries. When they're out there and they go and they're leading people to the Lord and doing the work of the Lord, part of that is to our account. It's important. But I want you to look at these 200 men. For just a moment. It's okay. And Pastor actually went over this a little bit last week. When you go through things and you've been through these things, it's okay to heal. It's okay to heal. It's okay to rest. These men had to. From physical issues, emotional issues, we can hurt from spiritual issues, can't we? And you're hurting this morning, and it's okay. It's okay to rest. And it's okay to heal. And you can be hurting for so many different reasons. There's sorrow, and there's pain. There's relationship issues. There's divorce. Children. A church can hurt you, can it? A pastor. A Christian. But there's also the problems that we've caused. And that principle of reaping what we do sow. And we can be hurting. And as Pastor has said before, West Valley Baptist Church, it needs to be a place where people can heal and rest. But that takes an effort. It takes an effort from us here. It takes an effort from people here not to pry into what's going on in their lives or why they're hurting or why they're going through those things. That's not anything that we need to do. If people divulge those things to us, that's fine. That's up to them, but we don't need to pry into people's lives. If people are coming here hurting, we don't need to know every reason why they're hurting. But we do need to be able to identify those hurting people and love on them. Or we can be like these men of Belial, as David calls them. Well, they can have fellowship. They can be a part of our church when they start doing something. Or we can be like David where he said, no, we can love them now. We can help them now. 
And it's okay to rest. It's okay to heal. But when you're in this spot, just like these men, you have to stick with the stuff. That's the second point. Stick with the stuff. When you're hurting and you're low and, and, and all of these things are going on in your life, when you're in this spot of needing to heal and needing to rest, you need to stick by the stuff. You need to get in church even when it's hard to be around people. And when you're grieving and when you're hurting, it's hard to be around people sometimes. Because those people, they want to help. And they can't help sometimes. Right? They want to know what's going on. They want to help you. They want to be there for you. But you don't want to be there. When you're hurting like this, you just want to be alone, don't you? You want to wallow in our self-pity. You need to be here. You need to be at church. You need to have fellowship and bear one another's burdens. You need to hear the word of God preached and listen to the Lord. That's how you heal. That's how you find rest. You're going to find rest in Him. Healing isn't taking time off as a Christian. Healing isn't running back out to the world. It's not more sin in our lives. That's not going to give you rest. That's not going to give you healing. It's getting closer to Him. It's okay to rest. Christian, it's okay to rest. If you've been hurt, like the pastor has said many times, if you've been hurt, if you are hurting, if you're going through some things, We don't need to know everything that you're going through sometimes. We can hurt. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to rest. But you've got to get back up. It's okay to rest. It's okay to heal. But there comes a time, Christian, where you've got to get back up. Yeah, there was a time in my life where I felt like I was closer to God, but I've messed up and there was sin in my life and I feel like I just can't get close to God anymore. Take some time, heal, rest. But you got to get back up. you got to get back up. I've messed up. Of course you have. Of course you have. I've mentioned this a couple times, but divorce. It can feel like God's done with you. It can. Was he not good before? Is he not good now? Does he not delight in mercy? Can you not be close to him now because you've gone through some stuff? As a matter of fact, I think it's quite the opposite. Let me tell you something. God's not done with you. God's not done with you. You may have messed up. You have messed up. That's just the fact of it. You've messed up. You've sinned. God's not done with you. You may have gone through some things in your life and there may be divorce and there may be loss and there may be sin and a church may have hurt you or a pastor may have hurt you. Whatever it is, it's okay. God's not done with you. 
God's not done with you. If you need to find rest, find rest. If you need to heal, then heal and take that time. But while you're healing, while you're resting, you stick with the stuff. But Christian, there's a time when you've healed, when you've rested. It's time to get back up. It's time to move forward for the Lord. He's not done with you yet. Go ahead, every head bowed, every eye closed. Have my wife come and start playing the piano for a second here. I'm going to take the liberty to ask everybody a couple questions this morning. How many of you this morning would signify with an uplifted hand that, you know, Brother Adam, I'm going through some things. I'm going through some things this morning that I can't face in my power alone. How many of you say that this morning? Amen, I see you. Thank you so much for your honesty. How many of you would say this morning, just once again, raising our hands, that there was a time, Brother Adam, when I felt closer to the Lord, and I feel like I just can't get back there. And lastly, is there anybody here this morning that would say, Brother Adam, I've found rest. I've found rest at West Valley Baptist Church. It's been a blessing to me. I've healed. I've gone through some things, but I've healed. And it's time for me to get back up. Amen. So this morning... I'm going to go ahead and pray and the altar's open. If the Lord's dealing with you about some stuff, if you're going through some stuff, and church family, we got some, we got some church family that's going through some stuff. It wouldn't be a bad idea for us to get up here and pray for them. Let's pray this morning and then the altar's open. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we sure thank you for today. I pray, God, that you would use this message and how you see fit, Father. I pray for those that are going through some things this morning, God. They can be big things. They can be small things. But Father, I pray, God, that we wouldn't face those problems in our power alone, that we'd turn those things over to you. Because in all honesty, God, you're the only one that can help anyway. Father, I pray for those of us here this morning, God, that we've felt close to you in the past. We've we've lived for you, Lord in the past and it just feels it just feels Lord like you're keeping us at arm's length this morning we know that's not the case we know Father any barriers that are in our lives are put there by us Father we thank you God that you delight in mercy and Father I pray for anybody here this morning God that has gone through trials and troubles and tribulations Father, that they've found some rest or need some rest, Lord. But when the time comes, Father, I pray that they would get back up. Father, I pray that they'd move forward for you. God, that you would help them to encourage themselves in you like David did. Father, you're not done with them yet. You're not done with us, God. I pray that you'll be the remainder of this service. 
Amen. Altar's open. Brother Nate sings. Well, God's not done with you yet. Amen? Amen. There's uh, some things that were running through my mind, and uh, just all the folks that said they were praying, I sure appreciate all that. And, and guests, it's an honor to have you here this morning. If it's your first time here, we, we, sure, we sure love that you're here with us, and uh, we are honored to have you, but you need to come back next week when pastor's here. So, But uh, I was thinking we need to get some kind of recording or something of pastor where he can just, just play it every once in a while where he goes, mm, that's good, mm, that's good, and then just that laugh every once in a while. So we need to, and just, it just makes you feel more at home. So yeah, that's a good thing. But uh, other than that, we got a service tonight. Brother Sharp's going to preach for us tonight. We're looking forward to that. And uh, Brother Nate's going to close us in a word of song.